Cynthia Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator for the City of Lawrence. Mr. Chair, it is 11.01. Do you want to go ahead and get started? Sure, we can get started. Um, I guess uh, the first thing we have here is I'm going to uh, see here that we have a quorum and then we'll move on to the normal statement about public comment. So I have, as I see it, uh, Thomas Howe, Rebecca Buford, Christina Gentry, Erica Zimmerman, Sarah Waters, Ann and Ori, Tom Allen, Shannon Reed. Here. And Ron Gacious on as a uh, the members present, which I believe represents a quorum of this group. Okay. Um, did I miss any, are there any board members on that I'm missing that I see that I didn't call? Okay, so I believe we have a quorum. Um, if uh, staff would make the statement about uh, public engagement in this meeting, then we'll move on to open forum. Comment. Thank you, Mr. Chair. I'm going to provide a few procedural reminders for the virtual meeting. This meeting is being broadcast and recorded from the City of Lawrence YouTube channel. The public chat function is disabled. All chats will go directly to city staff. When you're not participating in the meeting, please mute your microphone by clicking on the microphone icon found at the lower left-hand side of the Zoom menu. A red line through the microphone means you're muted. Please remember to unmute when you participate in the meeting. For those of you joining by phone, you can click star six to unmute your phone. When you are uh, participating in the meeting, please keep your video on. When you are not participating in the meeting, you can turn your video off. The video icon is located by the camera icon on the lower left-hand side of the Zoom screen. You will still be able to hear the meeting while your video is off. You can turn your video back on when you are participating. Turning your video off when you are not participating allows the active meeting participants to be seen on the screen. If you have any trouble, please send us a chat. The city reserves the right to mute microphones and or turn off people's videos to minimize distractions. Please remember to state your name every time you speak for the benefit of those listening remotely. For those using Zoom, somewhere on your screen, you will see a choice to toggle between speaker and gallery view. Speaker view shows the active speaker. Gallery view ties, tiles all the meeting participants. All motions will need to be stated clearly. After a motion is made and seconded, the chair will call on board members individually to provide their vote. Mr. Chair, you will then need to announce whether the motion carried and the count of the vote. When public comment is sought in an item, individuals participating via Zoom should use the raise your hand feature. Windows and Mac users can access this feature through the participants button at the bottom of their screen. Android and iPhone users can access this feature through the more button located at the bottom right hand corner of their screen. For those calling by phone, you may dial star nine. Individuals will be called upon by name in the order they appear in the meeting host screen. When you're called on, please un unmute your listening device and state your name before speaking. 
The chair will then call for in-person public comment for those without access to technology options. Staff present will direct you to the podium to speak following social distancing and safety and mask wearing protocols. The regular three minute time limit will apply. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. I would just note that Dana Ortiz joined us as well, and I realized I did not call on myself when I called roll, so um, that makes 11 present. Okay, I'd like to open it up for a public comment. Uh, do we have anyone waiting to make comment? This is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. Mr. Chair, I don't see anybody present or in, um, in Zoom for public comment. Okay, great. Uh, we will close the public comment and move on to uh, our second agenda item, approve the minutes of the September 13, 2021 meeting. I would entertain a motion or any discussion. Mr. Chamber, uh, Mr. Chairman, uh, Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative, I move adoption of last month's minutes. Great. So we have a motion on the floor. Do I have a second? Second. Rebecca Buford seconds. Is there any discussion of the minutes? Okay, seeing none, I will close the discussion and we will vote. Um, I'm going to call everybody in the same order that I took roll. Uh, it'll be the same for every voting item we have. So uh, here we go. Uh, this is uh, to approve the minutes from September 12th. Thomas Howe? Approve. Rebecca Buford? Approve. Christina Gentry? I approve. Erica Zimmerman? Approve. Sarah Waters. Approve. Shannon Ori. Approve. Tom Allen. Approve. Shannon Reed. Approve. Ron Gacious. Approve. Dana Ortiz. Approve. Monty Soka. Approve. That is passes 11 0. Yes. Okay. On to the uh, regular agenda items. Uh, we'll be receiving the monthly financial report. So I'm going to turn that back over to staff for that. Thank you, Mr. Chair. This is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. We collected about $91,000 in sales tax during the month of September. No change on the expense side, and we anticipate meeting budgeted revenue. Any questions? Thank you. All right. So uh, second item on the agenda is the community housing initiative updates. Um, so we have uh, Brandon McGuire and boy, I'm going to mess up the second name, Jill. It's Jalliker. Jill Gallagher. Jolliker. Oh, Jolliker. Jolliker. Okay. Thank you. And this is Assistant City Manager Brandon McGuire um, with the City of Lawrence. I, I will note um, there is a little bit of confusion. We are both, uh, both Jill and myself are showing up under Leah's um, invitation, I think. And so 
Uh, okay. Sorry about that, but we'll make sure to state our names so um, everybody knows who's speaking. Um, well, I'll, I'll kick off uh, real quick. Um, I think we have uh, kind of a brief uh, brief set of talk, talking points for the board. Um, and uh, both myself and Jill are here at uh, the board's request to um, provide an update on a lot of the um, a lot of the energy and work that's going into um, homelessness initiatives and, and planning in the community. Um, and so, uh, the city of Lawrence budget for 2022, which was uh, just recently adopted by the city commission, um, does include uh, um, our what I think is probably our most um, significant investment in um, solutions to homelessness. Uh, that I've seen, at least in my time um, with the, the city organization, um, involved in that uh, that budget proposal, um, we have reprioritized uh, a few positions as well as added a position, um, and that is part of a uh, reorganization of Danny's division, actually within our planning and development services department. Um, that division is going to be um, expanded and rebranded as our housing initiatives division. Um, as you all may know, our uh, planning and development services department uh, focuses um, through the regulatory process, building codes, um, et cetera, on a very large segment of the housing, uh, the housing industry. Um, they work very you know, directly with home builders and um, any sort of residential uh, project you see uh, has their fingerprints on it. And so uh, we thought it would actually be a natural fit to expand that scope of housing, uh, which has been recently expanded into affordable housing and um, go ahead, go ahead and, and add uh, rehousing, re uh, rapid rehousing and um, homelessness as well uh, to that, that scope. Um, and so now uh, under one roof with one team, we've got uh, the full spectrum of housing needs um, uh, supported. And so we're we're happy to uh, be able to do that um, and have the support of the commission to do that through this 2022 budget. Um, so that, that reorganization involves uh, reprioritizing two of our uh, patrol officers in the police department. And so those are vacant, vacant positions that we've had trouble filling um, for quite some time. And so uh, we are going to actually combine those, consolidate those two vacant FTE positions and create a, a, home, a homelessness project specialist position. And so that's going to be a position that's going to provide um, support with our continuum of care and the um, homelessness response system working on uh, project development, policy development and uh, initiatives identified um, to help us accomplish our goals um, for, for eliminating chronic homelessness and uh, hopefully much more in the near future. The second position that we're adding is a homelessness coordinator position. And that is a position that we're doing in partnership with the Kansas Department of Aging and Disability Services, and particularly their behavioral health services branch. Um, and so we're very excited to uh, have a funding partnership with KDADS and KDADS will be, um, they're actually uh, putting the finishing touches on a funding agreement right now. And we got initial approval from the city commission to be able to move forward with them on that. Um, so we expect very shortly to be able to uh, begin recruiting for a homelessness coordinator position and uh, look forward to um, a 
what, what we think is going to be a three-year funding agreement with KDADS uh, to, to partner with us on that position. That's a position, again, that's going to work at the continuum level, um, working with our partners in the continuum of care, um, working on a study that I think Jill will uh, reference here in just a minute, a minute in her comments, um, and helping to realize the vision for um, for our uh, our plan to to end chronic homelessness within the next three years. And so uh, that's some of the work that's going on within the city um, organization. We have also, uh, in addition specifically to those two positions, uh, we have identified a homelessness liaison within our Parks and Rec Recreation Department. This is Mitch Young, and uh, Mitch has been helping us uh, with a number of different projects over the past couple of years, um, but he has uh, a pretty good rapport with um, many of our um, community members who are experiencing homelessness, as well as many of our providers who um, support, support those folks. And uh, we think it's important within the Parks and Recreation Department, especially to have that liaison position because that's a, that's a department with their properties and, and uh, facilities, um, especially in some of our neighborhood parks and neighborhood centers that really do feel um, they, they, they find themselves at that intersection of um, uh, people experiencing homelessness and people um, trying to enjoy their neighborhood parks um, or their neighborhood recreation centers. And so we think it's really important to help um, help be more responsive uh, with um, with those issues that we see um, that a lot of times do get associated, you know, whether right or wrong um, with with homelessness and have a, a direct point of contact for people to be able to work with um, and uh, help address their goals. Um, both for their neighborhood parks and as well as um, some of our other facilities. And so uh, that's that's kind of the, the news from the city. Um, I'll ask Jill to jump in and provide some updates from the county perspective um, and, uh, and also um, kind of talk about our Built for Zero project with which both the city and uh, county have, um, have committed to through a joint resolution. Thanks, Brandon. Um, Jill Jolliker, I'm the Assistant County Administrator for Douglas County. Um, real quick, I thought it would be helpful to um, give folks a sense of what is this, the Housing and Homelessness Stakeholder Committee. And I have two screens if my eyes are in different places. So um, I'm going to, can I share screen, Leah? Yes, please. Cool. All right, thanks. <laughs> Yeah, it's still not letting me do it. Um, oh, well, no worries. Um, well, I wanted to um, I wanted to just give folks a sense of the housing and homelessness stakeholder group that um, Brandon and I have been convening um, as an outcome of a homelessness and housing summit that was organized by the Kansas Department of Aging and Disability Services. Um, and um, that was uh, in April. And in terms of, of a way to operationalize how the group can continue to do work um, and make, make progress moving forward, um, we put together a what we just kind of call the housing and homelessness stakeholder group. And that group, uh, there's a, okay, it looks like I can share screen now. Um, so I'll just, I won't read through everybody here, but um, you can see that we 
put together, um, it's a lot of folks that are in this group. So, um, because they are kind of the key folks that are steering um, some really key agencies and services in the community. Um, we've got some system spanners and subject matter experts um, that sit in the continuum of care, balance of state. Um, Shanae Eggert is our lead there. Um, they're kind of the, um, the lead, one of the lead agencies in how homelessness services are organized. Um, and then City of Lawrence, of course, planning and CDBG. Uh, we have Danny and Leah. And then because we are a Built for Zero community um, that is part of a national movement to end homeless, chronic homelessness, um, we have the subject matter expertise of um, Emma Beers, who is one of our um, consultants that uh, works with our team and coaches us through this process, along with some other communities that are working through this um, Built for Zero initiative. Um, real quick while I'm on that, the Built for Zero initiative, um, several communities um, enter into this um, framework of thinking about how to end chronic homelessness or family homelessness or um, uh, excuse me, um, veterans homelessness and Built for Zero uses a framework that is data driven and really um, looks to the nuts and bolts of foundations like coordinated entry system and um, HM, strong HMIS systems, um, really foundational things that just need to be reinvested in um, and coordinated at, with community stakeholders. So, um, that's good news because we have a lot of really, really invested folks in that kind of um, infrastructure in this community already um, that I can come to in a little bit. But um, at a high level, our, our our goal area for Built for Zero is um, to end chronic uh, chronic homelessness, get it to functional zero by 2023. Um, that is our goal, um, and uh, we're it, it may seem um, daunting at this time, but we're absolutely committed to that and working with our stakeholders on our chronic homelessness population. Um, that number of individuals um, we believe is around 130, 120, 140 depends. Um, we're working hard with some of our community stakeholders to make sure that we're really zeroing in on those folks. And I'll come back to one of the projects that's supporting that, um, that community as well. Um, and then when we look at our service providers, um, I see one, I need to update um, Lawrence Community Shelter here, but um, we do have um, Megan and Melissa from the Lawrence Community Shelter um, sit in this space. We've got great representation from Burt Nash, tenants to homeowners. Um, you can read through this list, but we have what we believe are kind of our core group of folks that um, help us organize um, how we can um, develop a framework for um, working together. Um, let's see. And within this group, we have, um, we get up to, we, we meet every two weeks. We get updates from, um, per, um, projects that the city and the county are managing relative to this work. Brandon, um, hit on, um, what are traditionally the, the topics for the city. Um, we've had some good talks about the, um, efforts around the winter shelter recently as well. Um, but a lot of it is more focused on um, our long-term upstream solutions um, with that, that position that the city is going to be hiring and this new department, um, new reorganization um, that is um, coming online. Um, from the county's perspective, I am going to, I'm going to stop my share and do a new share. 
from the county's perspective, um, one of the things that the county is uh, uh, heading up in partnership with the city is the um, doing a comprehensive um, homelessness needs assessment with um, the KU Center for Public Partnerships and Research. Um, KU did a um, similar assessment in twenty uh, in twenty twenty with the Continuum of Care for the Greater Kansas City Coalition on Homelessness, which is the um, continuum of care for the metro metropolitan KC area, along with a couple communities on the, um, the Kansas side of the uh, metro area. And they really developed a really nice framework for um, how to um, assess the needs of um, folks that are experiencing homelessness in the community. Um, at a high level, um, I'm going to just real quickly hit on this, um, our scope of work here, um, because I don't have anything that's a little any more condensed, but where we're at right now, at least, is we're in phase two, where we're um, really looking at the, taking, making sure that we're getting all the pieces in order to do um, the quantitative aspect of um, this assessment. So it will be a quantitative and a qualitative needs assessment. Um, so the quantitative aspect of it, we're going to be looking at the data systems that um, are the foundational to um, how um, this the folks experiencing homelessness have been um, documented and tracked, if you will, um, historically. So that's looking at things like the homelessness management information system, um, things like the housing inventory count, point in time count, and then our coordinated entry systems. Um, so I know that the team at KU is working with um, the HMIS um, steering committee for the balance of state COC right now to get that data agreement in place um, and be able to have access to some of that data. And then the county um, on uh, on Wednesday this week will be executing a data um, sharing agreement with um, KU so that they can be uh, looking at some of the information that the county um, provides at uh, provides in our My Resource Connection Care Coordination um, data platform. So um, if you're not familiar with My Resource Connection, it's a client care coordination um, uh, data use tool. That's the best way I can say it right now. Um, it's HIPAA compliant, um, 42 CFR Part 2 compliant, if you know what that is. Um, so a lot of privacy protections around where mutual clients are being served in this community. So the data systems that are sharing information on a nightly basis in, include at the top of the data food chain DECA. Um, at our, those are our substance use provider partition. That's the most protected information possible. At the second level of our data partition is our business associates. So we're sharing data that are of mutual clients between the LMH emergency room, Burt Nash Community Mental Health Center, Lawrence Douglas County Fire and Medical, um, uh, ER transports, and um, clients that are um, being served by the um, health department. We do hope to have Heartland um, added to that mix um, sometime later this year, um, along with Heartland Radac at some point as well. Um, and then at the lower lowest level of our data partition are business associates. So those are um, the Douglas County Sheriff's Office, um, bookings and releases, um, Johnson County um, uh, Sheriff's Office bookings and releases, 
Um, and that's kind of just a, a hangover because my resource connection was developed by Johnson County and the our county has an agreement with them to host all that for us. But we do share clients between Johnson County and Douglas County. Um, and then we have information for um, clients that are being served by um, district court um, and Douglas County Criminal Justice Services. So um, looking at what are the overlaps um, doing some sampling of folks, uh, again, getting some de-identified data for where there are some mutual overlaps. Um, I will say like relevant to that, if you are interested in this um, kind of information, where do, where do we see folks that are um, could be categorized as high utilizers of our systems? It's a lot of the same folks that we're taught, what we are um, looking at um, serving in this needs assessment and whether or not they're being served there's going to be a great presentation at the uh, Douglas County Criminal Justice Coordinating Council meeting tomorrow on some of the um, initial findings around high utilizers um, and how much and what kind of services they're utilizing. Um, and that's tomorrow's presentation. Um, and you'll be able to find it, um, a recording of it if you're not able to watch it in real time. It starts at uh, 11 o'clock tomorrow. Um, and if you want additional information on that, just let me know. Um, uh let's see there's some once we get back past this initial data piece um we're you know coordination of activities and is really what you know they're doing some um, assessments right now on who's doing what what are the programs what are the resources um and then here in the coming month we're going to be working on some engagement sessions and focus groups focus groups will be with providers um, but also more importantly with folks with lived experience. Um, the, and, and that part of it really is what brought a lot of value um, to working with KU um, for this project to Brandon and I initially, and then we brought that to that stakeholder group and they believe that there was value in that as well. Um, you can see that the quantitative and the qualitative analysis and the data collection continue um, throughout the, um, the remaining months we do hope to have some initial findings around what are some of these high level needs? What are the gaps in services later this year? Um, um, if not early next year um, to have some initial information about where maybe we need to be thinking about investments. Um, and then the, we'll have a final um, uh, completed report um, and findings um, sometime in the spring. Um, Jill, Jill, yeah. Monty, so good chair. thank you. That's a very, <laughs> you gave us a lot of information in a short amount of time there. I think um, we've got just a maybe four or five minutes really for some questions. Let's kind of stay in our agenda here and stay on track so we don't run out of time. But so I want to give the uh, board an opportunity. Um, and the one question I would start with is I know we have some some of our really great people on your in this group, which is wonderful, which will help keep us surprised at what's going on. But how do you see our this you know the affordable housing advisory board what role do we play other than having some of our members on your team you know what at what point is there interaction there or is there um i don't have a good answer for that i'm going to defer to brandon <laughs> okay yeah and in i'm not sure i necessarily do as well um you know the the advisory board was uh, created by the city commission right. um, and you know, staff doesn't really provide direction to advisory boards. Um, you know, we work as liaisons uh, in, in support of 
the work plans that you and in collaboration with the city commission um, come up with. And so uh, I think affordable housing is is um, it's probably the you know the next step after rapid rehousing for a lot of people's pathway to recovery from homelessness. And so um, I do think that there will probably be collaborative projects. And that was part of the thought process for um, adding, you know, adding in a formal way um, support for homelessness uh, solutions um, under Danny's team. Um, I think that there are, uh, you know, that staff will be collaborating with probably members of this board um, on different projects, uh, you know, in, in the in the very near future, especially as we start to see federal funding materialize. Um, for capital projects, and so I think I think maybe in that regard, um, in terms of you know having a specific focus on homelessness, um, my my gut tells me that that's maybe beyond the scope of the affordable housing advisory board, and probably the the um, funding mechanism, the sales tax um, for which you oversee. Yeah, and I would just add that you know I think that this group has done. I yeah, I've I've tried to observe. Ahab's meetings for a, a good amount of time. And I know Ahab's done some really great studies. And so I think, you know, the challenges that we're experiencing around homelessness are a symptom of the lack of affordable housing. So I think that the more, just my two cents, the more that this group, Ahab can stay laser focused on investments in affordable housing, the better off folks experiencing, the more we can prevent homelessness and Thank you for that answer. I think that this Monty Sogup chair, I think, you know, when we heard about your work and saw that coming, we want to make sure that we were, you know, if we needed to be involved, we were and are. And uh, if our job is to get more houses on the ground, we'll take that and, and run with it because that's certainly been our focus. So appreciate that. Any other questions? Oh, Ron, I see Ron's got his hand up there. Uh, Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative on the AHAB. Uh, advisory board. Uh, question probably for Brandon. Um, the, you know, the title of the task force is housing and homelessness. I'm sorry, steering committee, but the work's all on the homeless side. And I understand that because the objective you've got right underneath the title is clear that the emphasis is on homelessness. My question is, are there any of the federal dollars that are arriving with this set of dollars or dollars that you're anticipating down the road that will be available for capital investment? You know, are, are we spending any of these federal dollars to develop, build, or acquire affordable housing capital stock? Or, or is there a plan to do so? And Brandon, my question is to you because you kind of referenced this. Is there a plan to consider doing so when there's other funds that we anticipate in the future for capital investment. So um, speaking, this is Assistant City Manager Brandon McGuire, uh, speaking specifically to um, federal funding uh, related to um, homelessness, um, I'm, I'm not sure what all opportunities will materialize um, for affordable housing projects, but uh, I, in what we're trying to accomplish with the with the system level uh, needs analysis is um, is is to really understand um, you know well a number of things but you know germane to this group um, what type of housing stock and, and how much of it 
um, to support our rapid rehousing needs in the community. Um, and so I think that that as there are op opportunities to braid funding um, between maybe affordable housing funding, um, private investment, uh, public investment, especially some of these um, American uh, rescue plan funds uh, that will eventually start to come down to the local levels, uh, then I think absolutely there will, there will be uh, some opportunities uh, for those types of collaborations. Um, I can say right now it's still it's still fairly vague how, at least to us at the local level, um, how those funding streams from the ARP are going to materialize. Um, but we're definitely mindful, and I think that's one of the reasons why we have folks like Rebecca Buford and Dana Ortiz um, involved in this team is because there are, um, you know, I think we're really hoping to be able to leverage funding. Yeah, I would just say that the county's the county has um, every intent to invest in housing in additional housing stock. It is going to uh, the, for the county's purposes, it is going to be focused on housing that's specifically targeted to folks that have a higher level of care. So the kind of what kind of needs to address folks experiencing chronic homelessness, it's permanent supportive housing. It's housing that has a higher level of wraparound services. That's what we know. Initially, we do need capital investments for that. And, you know, Rebecca and even uh, Erica are uniquely suited to help us understand who we need to be working with and how we need to be doing that. The needs assessment will give us that information. Um, but we're we know also that we are going to need this kind of needs assessment information that we're we will get from KU. Um, in order to complete what sounds like an incredibly painful and gnarly application um, that Danny and Brad are going to be helping with for some home funds that the city is uniquely situated to um, apply for and use over a longer um, time frame in the future. Great. This, this is, is Assistant City Manager oh. Brandon McGuire. I'll just add uh, a couple more thoughts. Um, and I should have started with this comment uh, that uh, part of the city's um, investments in, in developing our team um, to provide support in this area are motivated by the fact that homelessness was one of the top three issues identified through our strategic plan process, um, where we engaged, you know, 3,000 community members and in a hundred plus different conversations. And so, um, you know, we 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 know that there is an expectation that we're in the game. Um, and, and that we work collaboratively with the county. And so I think we've got, we've got a good approach there. Um, I'll also say that not having a system level um, plan, a needs assessment um, in a plan, it, it has been a big hindrance, I think. Um, this, the study that uh, the county has commissioned KU uh, to work on is actually, a, that's, that's a study that you know, most communities that we've researched you know, did several years ago. Um, so we are we are you know, trying to work very fast to get back up to speed in that regard. Um, uh, but I, I think once we have that in place, that will really provide a lot more clarity that people seek for you know what are what are the solutions strategies that we're going to be really investing in. Thank you, Brandon and Jill. Uh, I'm going to wrap bring this up to a conclusion, unless there's a burning question from someone on the board. Uh, try to keep us on schedule here, but thank you very much, uh, Brandon and Jill. Appreciate the appreciate the work going on thank there. You.
Okay, we're going to open this up. The next item on the agenda is the fall public hearing for the 2021 Community Development Block Grant and Home Investment Partnerships Programs and the Consolidated Annual Performance and Evaluation Report. So I'm going to turn that back over to staff to for the report there. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, this is Brad Carr, Community Development Analyst. Um, I went ahead and shared my screen and I'm just going to go over some uh, real quick information on uh, why we're holding this public hearing and uh, what all it will contain. Um, basically today's hearing, uh, and I noticed, sorry, on our agenda, there is a typo. Um, this is the fall public hearing for the 2020 Community Development Block Grant. Um, on the agenda, it says the 2021. So this is the 2020 year that we're discussing. Um, so today's hearing is basically intended to provide a place for the public to discuss um, the city's performance in implementing our past CDBG and home funded activities, um, especially those that were funded during the past 2020 program year. And so um, HUD does require us to create uh, the consolidated annual performance and evaluation report, which is what I have on the screen there. It's known as the CAPER. And that's an end of the year wrap up. Um, that details how the city spent our grant funds um, for the previous year. Um, this is part of a larger consolidated plan that uh, is a five-year plan that runs from 2018 to 2022. And this is, uh, as I said, year 2020 of that five-year cycle. Um, the report that has been created uh, was made available to the public starting on September 20th. Um, available on the city's website. There's also a link to it in today's agenda. Um, HUD does require that we have a 30-day written public comment period, and so that began on that September 20th, that the uh, report was released and will run until October 20th. And there is information uh, provided on, if you would like to provide uh, written comment, um, you can email uh, staff members and all written comment received here today during the public hearing um, and any public comment uh, will be included with the report and sent on to HUD when we do submit it um, on October 31st of this year. Another function of this hearing is to provide just general information on uh, if the public has questions on uh, what is CDBG in the home programs, as well as uh, that five-year consolidated plan. Um, we're also hoping to have an open public forum for suggested future activities that the public would like us to see um, done with these federal dollars that we do receive. Um, specifically in our next program year, which begins August 1st of 2022, and would run to July 31st of 2023. Um, we'll also uh, be open to any discussions on how uh, proposals can be made for those uh, grant-funded activities. And then uh, we would like to, the public, to give the public an opportunity um, public agencies, other interested parties, and Lawrence citizens um, to express and discuss their opinions about needs that they see in the community, um, whether it be low and moderate income persons, housing and community development needs, or just other general needs that they feel are important that we should possibly be addressing with our grant funds. And so uh, I'll just quickly run over some highlights of this report. It is um, a rather detailed 71-page document. I won't go through it all. Um, and then we'll get to uh, the most important part, uh, which is to open up the public discussion to allow uh, the citizens to um, have, you know, answer, we can answer questions that they have, and then we would uh, submit their uh, comments on to HUD. 
So I'll just go over some of the highlights. This report is generated in an online federal system that HUD has. And so they have it set up into um, specific sections all over already. So I'll just go over some of the section titles. Um, it does have a section on our goals and outcomes. Um, there is a section on uh, the racial and ethnic composition of the families that were assisted during the 2020 grant year. Um, there is a section on the resources that we had available to us during that grant year. Um, there is also a, a section on affordable housing. So uh, there's some information in there that uh, you might, all might be familiar with. Um, there is also a section on homeless and other special needs in our community, uh, public housing, um, other actions they describe, uh, which are actions taken uh, to remove negative effects of public policy and any barriers to affordable housing that we see in our community. Um, there is a section on monitoring and then just some quick individual sections on uh, the CDBG program and home program specifically. And there are some additional resources that are included with this document and um, I'll highlight just a few of those and that would be our uh, citizen participation plan. And this is a HUD required document that explains how we will uh, interact with our community um, during all of the phases of planning, um, use of the funds all the way through uh, reporting. And uh, also included is our city adopted step up to better housing strategy. Um, the housing vision chart, which uh, some of you may have seen before, we started with this way back when the Affordable Housing Advisory Board began. We kind of used this chart as a framework. Um, also included that we submit to HUD is your uh, annual report from your 2020 year. Uh, some information on that continuum of care, the local model. And then there's just some additional information on uh, low mod census tracts in the city of Lawrence. Um, some financial summaries and match information. So um, I would uh, like to get to that part of the public hearing where we open it up uh, to either uh, board members, obviously, but uh, if there's any members of the public, either in the city commission room or here on the Zoom meeting, meeting we would like to hear from them. And you and uh, Danny and I are here to answer any questions that you have. All right, thank you, Brad. Um, are there any questions from the board before we open it up for public comment for public hearing? Okay, seeing none. Um, Brad, maybe you would stop stop your uh, screen share there, and then um, is there any is there specific language for the opening it to the public hearing, or do we just need to? call it open to the public hearing. This is Brad Carr, Community Development Analyst. Yeah, probably just procedurally, if you would uh, just open uh, the public hearing and then we'll see if there's anybody uh, available for comments. And then uh, once, okay. once we wrap that up, then we would close that hearing. Okay, so I'm. we are officially, the uh, Affordable Housing Advisory Board is officially opening the fall public hearing for the 2020 Community Development Block Grant and Home Investment Partnership Program. Um, are there any, is there anyone in the audience or on the Zoom that would like to comment or make uh, make comments on the hearing? 
This is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. There is nobody present um, in the building to make public comment. Okay. Or one last time, call for any comments from the board. Okay, seeing no comments, we're officially closing the all public hearing for the 2020 Community Development Block Grant and Home Investment Partnership Program. Uh, Brad, is there anything else that we need to do on this uh, agenda item? No, that's it. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Brad. All right, on to the next item on our agenda, uh, mobile home communities displacement presentation by Renters Together. Uh, I believe we have uh, Melinda Levon joining us. I hope I said that right. You did, thank you. <laughs> I'm Melinda Levon, and do you know if I'll be able to screen share? Oh, looks like. I don't know. I um, Levon, uh, Melinda, we have about, I'm gonna try to uh, put this in around 15 minutes. Yeah, uh, I have about 13 slides. Keep that in mind as you're going through this. With, uh, thank you. Yeah. Um, if my internet cuts out, please just jump in and stop me. Okay. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about the impacts of really large real estate investment groups and, and what's happening to some people here in Lawrence, specifically the Jayhawk and Brookwood mobile home parks here in Lawrence. Um, if you're not familiar with Jayhawk, it's down at 15th and Cadet in East Lawrence. Uh, across the street from the cemetery. It's really a beautiful part of town. Um, earlier this summer, a resident of Jayhawk Mobile Home Park was at work and they overheard people talking about some problems they were having with their landlord. And uh, another person was there struggling finding a new place to live. And so the resident started sharing about how they had a new landlord who had just purchased the property this year. And there were some new policies in place uh, that were making things really difficult for them and their neighbors. And people are experiencing a lot of distress and, and trauma from, from what's going on. And so uh, this summer, there's been a renewed effort to revive Renters Together, a tenants union here in Lawrence. Um, Lawrence is kind of, uh, different. The average um, in the United States, uh, on average, 44% of renters uh, of people are renters. And here in Lawrence, we're at about 66% um, renters, uh, not owner occupants. Um, and so we've knocked on doors all summer in some apartment complexes where people were having some struggles and also in Jayhawk and uh, Brookwood. And what people told us were that there were a lot of new and rather high fees. Um, people gave us tours of their home and, and were more than happy to show us the mold they were dealing with, unsafe electrical systems, bathtubs falling through floors, toilets not hooked up to sewage, sinks not working in a pandemic. Um, and residents at Jayhawk and Brookwood uh, we're told that new leases would be required, current rental agreements would not be honored, um, there are new background checks with associated fees that would be required before people could sign that new lease. Um, the new property managers are refusing to accept money orders and there's no option to pay their rent uh, locally anymore. Um, so they are demanding online payments and there were a lot of people at uh, Jayhawk and Brookwood that had heard about Kira, the Kansas Emergency Rental Assistance Funds, um, 
And, and I do think people have worked really hard and done a good job of trying to get the word out on Kira. Uh, but a lot of folks at Jayhawk did not have a way to really access the application. And some of them are certainly behind on, on rent or utilities or both. Um, for the access piece, there are about 14 million American adults or 6% of households, according to the FDIC, mm -hmm. that are unbanked. And so they don't have access to online banking or regular debit card or online banking options. And in a mobile home park, that percentage of households is likely to be much higher than 6%. And there are many households in Jayhawk mobile home park where they don't have phone data and they do not have internet. Um, so online payments in Kira are kind of inaccessible. Um, residents were told that they could mail a check if they had a traditional bank account with a checking option to uh, an individual named Jay Jessen at this address here in Auburn, California, but some folks had concerns about mail delivery and um, people that have mailed letters there are not getting responses. Um, so that was in kind of June and July, and in July and August, the new property manager started knocking on doors and telling people verbally um, to just leave um, the property. And a few people received written seven day eviction notices. So earlier in the summer, um, we had a lot more faith in the help is on the way speeches and a lot of hope for the Kira program. We got some assistance from United Way and some other folks here in the community to train us on how to help people apply for Kira. And we started having cookouts and community meetings and setting up mobile hotspots and tables with laptops um, and assisting people in applying for Kira. Um, if you're familiar with the CARA application, if you've clicked all the way through it, then you know that you need a copy of your current lease. This has been a real problem for folks because it's pretty common for people to have verbal lease agreements. I see it a lot all over Kansas, at least in the second congressional district um, where I've, I've been doing some organizing. Uh, verbal lease agreements, they're legal, uh, they're valid. Um, but there are several homes in Jayhawk that have been rented over the years through multiple subleases. And there is a point where there's just no paper trail, which is a problem for both the tenants and the new owners. Um, and so we had to help people apply using self attestations. And then another problem with the CARA application we ran into, <clears throat> excuse me, is that the landlord contact information has been a little confusing. Um, we were told it was Jay Jessen who um, is associated with Jayhawk MHC. MHC stands for Mobile Home Community LLC. Jayhawk MHC is a new uh, business entity registered with the Secretary of State here in Kansas uh, this summer, and then they're using this address in California. However, when Jay visited the park in person, he said that he lives about three hours away. He told the city of Lawrence the same thing. Um, and in fact, he does live over in Missouri. And so we were kind of curious if Jay is in Missouri, who's actually in California. Um, so the address associated um, with this new owner is actually a house that was purchased in 2016. It was renovated in 2017. It's just been on the market for years and it's actually just rented out as an office by multiple businesses. Um, it is a beautiful home, um, but it has been kind of a slap in the face to folks at Jayhawk Mobile Home Park who don't have sinks and don't have bathrooms that are properly functioning, um, that this is the address to which they're supposed to mail things. <laughs> um, so we're still, you know, 
couple months ago, we were still looking for the most accurate landlord contact information to better support people in applying for Kira and other programs. Um, Brian, that is associated with code enforcement for the city, uh, indicated that there is no landlord license. Um, their deadline passed on September 30th and no one has applied for one. The city is sending letters to that address in California. They have not received any responses. Um, and then I'm, I'm finding a lot of discrepancies in a lot of paperwork associated with Jayhawk Mobile Home Park. Um, there appears to be over 50 homes. They mostly seem occupied. And when the county appraiser helped us look at how many homes are there and who's paying taxes on them, um, they indicate that there are 41 mobile home parks in Jayhawk. Uh, the city records indicate that there should be 43 homes, but the deed registered with the county indicates that there are 45 homes in the park. And so this really simple question of just who owns how many homes has been really complicated. Um, it turns out that a really large real estate investment group called Saratoga Group is the buyer. Um, and Saratoga Group has decided to treat everyone in Jayhawk as if they do not have any kind of valid a rental agreement or lease agreement. And um, it turns out that uh, this is a copy of the buyer seller form and the seller indicated that no, none of this property is rented or leased at the time of sale back in June, um, which is apparently giving the new owner a lot of leeway in how they're treating people based on that. Um, if we look at who Saratoga Group is and what they, do they do, they actually offer some very complicated um, uh, securities in the housing market. And these are all opportunity zone investments. And I'll talk just a little bit more about that in a moment. Um, they specifically are working with a lot of Chinese investors. Uh, they get about $10 million a year in um, securities that, uh, that they're selling. Um, and the, the investment strategy is definitely working. Sam Hales has been the longtime CEO of Saratoga Group, and he's an industry expert in how to go inside of mobile home communities, make some small improvements. He talks a lot about replacing tenants with higher prices and how quickly you can double your holdings. And it's clearly working. In 2019, it was estimated Saratoga Group had at least $65 million in holdings and by 2021 it's reported that uh, they hold about 125 million um, and they purchased Jayhawk Mobile Home Park on June 2nd, 2021 and came in with some new policies. Um, I just wanted to mention what an opportunity zone is. The IRS definition is on the left that their economic development tools and the goal is to create job creation in low-income communities while providing tax benefits to the investors. Saratoga Group has a special uh, model where they encourage rent-to-own situations with their tenants. Um, I find that to be concerning because uh, many times when people are living in poverty, rent-to-own agreements do not work out in their favor. Um, all of these investments are structured so that no one person owns any more than 3% of a particular community, which really reduces the ability to hold people accountable. Um, and 
uh, Saratoga group talks a lot about how mobile home communities have generally a lower turnover rate compared to apartments because of the financial barriers that exist to being mobile with the actual mobile home. It costs about $10,000 to actually move a trailer and that's just out of reach for folks. Um, and then let the tax benefits are really significant. You get to defer capital gains for five years. You reduce the tax that you owe overall by up to 15% after seven years. And you don't pay any tax on the gains that you earn from this opportunity fund. Um, according to the SEC filings, which are public record, uh, they claim that they are exempt from reporting requirements under Rule 506, which includes rules about how they're only allowed to sell securities to other licensed investors because these products are really complicated. Um, and they certainly look a lot like the things that led up to the 2008 um, housing crisis. Um, if you look at a lot of the addresses that are associated with this building, it's often an empty lot. Um, it's really difficult to actually find contact information. Um, so I actually contacted Saratoga Group. I identified myself as a middle-aged midwife looking for new retirement investment ideas and asked for a prospectus. All of that is actually true, other than I don't necessarily have $50,000 uh, to send them. And uh, Sam replied directly, uh, did not mention any of the, the requirements about um, how they're only allowed to sell securities to other investors. And I did not receive a prospectus. I received a pitch deck, um, but I also received his contact information at the bottom of the email and I forwarded that to both county and city um, offices here in Lawrence. When it comes to Jayhawk Mobile Home Park residents, they really need a community wraparound plan. Uh, most of them in Jayhawk are facing probable evictions. We don't have any right now on the docket here in Douglas County, at least through November 5th. Um, there are several residents that state that they're waiting for their background checks so they can sign a new lease. Uh, and we know that there are several residents there that will not be eligible to rent there anymore due to a criminal history, including, uh, but not limited to an eviction on their record from these um, events that criminalize poverty. The new landlord also will not accept any CARA funds um, and they continue to attempt these Ill illegal evictions. Um, and we continue to work with uh, the people that live there to ensure that they know their rights surrounding evictions and that they have a right to legal counsel. And I just wanna point out that there are many homes in this park that have two to five children living in each unit. Um, we're talking about a lot of people here. Um, when it comes to Jayhawk mobile home community versus Brookwood, the people at Brookwood are much more likely to be a homeowner. None of the people in Jayhawk own their home. Um, and so Brookwood kind of sees their relationship with their landlord a little bit differently as homeowners. Brookwood was bought this year by Yes Communities. Uh, yes has very similar business models and policies uh, compared to Saratoga Group, like they're refusing CARA funds, they demand online rent payment and refused money orders, and they've uh, instituted um, some new fees, including on homeowners for having pets and things like that. Um, <clears throat> at Brookwood though, we've been able to work through a democratic process over the last several weeks. We've generated a list of demands that were voted on by residents that received 50% or greater support 
And we actually have a meeting this week on Thursday uh, with the new management and residents um, at Brookwood. But I think that Jayhawk Mobile Home Park is a bit of a canary in the coal mine when it comes to the Lawrence housing market. And these residents really need some better resources, support, and better regulation of and enforcement uh, of codes for property owners. And we need a community plan that is going to address the large number of folks that are going to um, lose their homes in the next coming months. <laughs> the um, uh, we have a new page on the DSA website. DSA is Democratic Socialists of America. We have a pretty active group of well over 100 members here in Lawrence now. Um, and on our website, we have information for renters of both um, uh, regular rental apartments and then also mobile home renters because they're actually separate laws that, that pertain to them. Um, and if anybody at any time has suggestions on how we can better help and support people in these communities. We are very open to hearing about it. Um, and uh, people are scared and frustrated. Um, and I'm not really sure how to best help people. Thank you, Melinda. That was very interesting and concerning, certainly. Um, are there um, well, I, I am going to continue to contact the city and the county. I would like people's tax records to be correct. I pay my taxes straightforwardly, and I expect other people to do the same. Um, and I also expect landlords to have a rental license in place. Um, right. Are there any questions, comments from the committee? Yeah, Rebecca. Melinda, thank you so much for your presentation. There's no question that the mobile home parks have always been a place where investors can take advantage of the, the poorest and most struggling and there isn't a lot of protection. So Renters Together is doing some amazing work with that. I cannot stress enough that if we want to talk about marginalized plate or people and preventing homelessness, that this would be the kind of project for ARPA money that we could acquire that mobile home park. It's not going to be an easy project. Tenants to owners would be more than willing to work on that if we can get the funds. And then we create some of the best affordable housing projects have turned rent mobile home parks because they are more dense and set up for community. But we, you know, have a program where over five 10 years we replace really crappy mobile home parks i'm sorry there's no other word to describe a mobile home right it's a trailer that is not made to last or be durable or be heated and cooled very easily so the reality is these investors are making people buy cars to live in depreciating assets right so our goal would be to get that and create assets and equity in those and safety in those units over time, but that that area does serve, you know, thirty to fifty of our most vulnerable families and individuals. And I think it would be a great place for the community to uh, take ownership of of that kind of housing supply and improve it. So I know 
I'm ready to do any part in acquiring it. Now, the investor's model is, uh, and Melinda didn't have time to get into this, but they basically up the rents, remove people who can't stay there, and then sell it to another investor for four times its value. So we let someone just take that money out of Lawrence if we don't acquire this property and then put our equity into it to help our population rather than squeeze a turnip that has nothing left in it. Um, well, I, I think that Saratoga Group in particular likes to hold on to their properties and then they make some very minimal improvements. And in that way, they can say that we've doubled or tripled our holdings. And that's how they're getting these foreign investment dollars to pour back into their system. Um, and so, you know, like you read in the LA Times or whatever, Wall Street Journal about these outside foreign investment dollars coming in to buy up residential properties. And I just, I was surprised that it's happening here in Lawrence. You know, I, I don't know why I thought it wouldn't happen to us, but it is definitely, definitely happening. And uh, Saratoga does kind of operate like a pyramid scheme in that respect. Yeah, Ron, go ahead. Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative. Uh, I just wanted to say, Rebecca, I support your idea 100%, if we could find a way to, to identify these properties as they were, as current owners were look, looking to change hands, or if there were banks that uh, uh, could feed us leads or whatever the situation might be, for us to actually take ownership of some of those and improve them to the benefit of the tenant instead of the detriment of the tenant would be, a, I think, a great investment for our community. And as you say, it's that that's kind of right at the cusp of, of transitioning into or out of homelessness. Some of those are amongst the most affordable units in town. So uh, for us to have some some uh, greater control or leverage over them would be, uh, I think, a great benefit for the community. All right, yeah, Shannon, go ahead. Thanks, Monty. Um, Shannon Reed, Douglas County Commission. Um, Melinda, thank you for that. That was incredibly thorough and I'm excited to rewatch it and take new notes because um, there's a lot of information. So I would love to have that slide deck, slide deck shared out um, if you haven't already shared that with city staff. Um, I, I, there's a lot to dig into there. We recently had um, here at the AHAB, um, uh, Brian Jimenez from Code Enforcement come and talk a little bit about um, rental licenses. And I thought there was a lot to dig back into in that conversation also. So I'm glad to hear that you've had, you have an open line of communication there. Um, do you think, I guess I'm curious um, if you have any particular ideas in terms of um, code changes or policy enforcement things that might help mitigate and reduce some of the harm. Obviously it's a massive glaring issue that there isn't currently a rental license in place um, for, for a location that houses upwards of 50 families or individuals. Um, that's a huge problem, which it sounds like they're, you are helping them along in trying to find some contact information as much as possible. 
do you have other ideas or has Renters Together uh, thought of other particular kind of immediate mitigation through city policies and codes that either AHAB and or I'm thinking about the joint planning and city and county planning commission too um, as some sort of longer term. It's a little different than code enforcement, but along those lines. That, that was a long-winded question, did it? Yeah, well, I, I think that one of the places to start is something that the county and city is already doing with um, creating those new positions for housing coordinator and housing navigator. I'm really excited that those uh, were in the city budget. I think that, um, you know, here in, in Lawrence and Douglas County, we do have like some overlapping services and then also gaps. And I hope that um, better coordination of all services uh, will, will be a good starting point. Um, but I, um, I'm a renter too, I'll add, um, and I'm, I'm really lucky. I actually get along really well with my property owners and we have a good relationship. And if something is broken, they have fixed it. Um, but um, I, I don't think that the public knows that they can uh, request that their property be inspected uh, for code violations. And I think that that's a huge missing like PSA, PR type of thing that the city and county could do to tell residents like you can get help. You, if you don't have a sink in your bathroom and you've, you know, texted and emails to your landlord to report it and they will not address it, there, there is help. Um, you know, especially when it comes to like sinks, toilets, uh, mold, um, these are major public health issues and um, that like we have to have them addressed. And so I would like to see some actual code enforcement. I mean, if your your lawn gets over 12 inches, the city will come mow it and send you a bill. And I, I don't understand why we can't uh, move forward on some forced compliance issues um, and uh, and get some of these things done. Monty sort of chair just on that comment Melinda I think you know there's that fear probably by some of those people too if they do call that they're then going to be ousted so I think it falls back to enforcement and regular enforcement that isn't called for by the tenant but is a regular city thing that hap is going to happen that with more regularity to you know and I know it takes man hours and and uh, all that, but I think that's got to be the direction to some extent, at least more than what we heard about in the previous presentation where you get this free pass if you've done well and <laughs> all that, you know, so. Yeah, I, I felt like the new city regulations for how often places would be inspected, what percentage of properties inspected. Last I heard, as far as I know, the owner can still choose which units actually get inspected. I've seen that in multiple um, apartment complexes around town where we know a couple people have some pretty nice ones, uh, everything works, and then other people have all these other issues yeah. um, because their units were never inspected. Yeah, this Monty Circle Chair, we often heard I, where the thing that shocked me is they're often inspecting unoccupied units because those are convenient, which doesn't do us very much good, to be honest. So anyway, uh, any other? Yeah, Christina. Hi, yes, Christina Gentry, um, citizen at large, member of AHAB. Um, thank you for that presentation. Thank you for all the information. I also do look forward to the um, 
PowerPoints to be shared out so I can kind of dig in and dive in. Um, two things I did here that, that resonated with me, uh, 60 cents, there's 60 cents, 66% of renters in, in Lawrence, um, and that's a huge number. I also heard that there, um, the unbanked house holds, um, especially in this, the Saratoga and the other mobile home parks, are higher than 6%. Um, that's significant to me um, because how are you paying your rent if you do not have a check? And what I'm hearing is that you need to have a check in order to send this to the landlord in order to get your rent paid. Um, so I just wanted to thank you and then also move to kind of really kind of hone in and point out that making income as a protected class is something that I, you know, I say a little bit and I say a little bit more often, but this is really one of those instances where having other ways to pay rent, insurance, utilities, and so forth, and, and looking at the AHA board as well as to looking to make protected class of income be something that we kind of sit upon and make sure that we maybe move to or look at policies that could make a make that to be a protected class. I know that we've talked about the implications of that and the policies. And if we even have that control or power, that's within our grasp or there are tasks to do. Um, I think we're tasked to do it and look at ways that we can uh, and continue to do that. So I really do appreciate the, the uh, information and the data um, and uh, look forward to having more of these conversations. Here, Shannon, last one. Shannon. Sorry, real quick. Uh, Shannon Reed, Douglas County Commission. I wanted to add just um, anecdotally, those fees, I talked to somebody at the um, Dillon's Customer Service, which is where like the only place now that you can go make in-person payments because there's no on-site property management. Um, and it's up to, um, depending on the online fee is up to $30 fee to pay online or upwards of like $10, depending on your payment amount, because it's a percentage there. So um, it really taxes the poorest people in our community. Um, and I also, I, Christina, I just wanted to appreciate that you brought up the protected class of income. I think we, for a couple meetings now, have kind of lost track of that conversation thread um, and some like at-large questions about whether or not that's in the scope of local control and authority. Um, but I do, that feels like a high impact policy if it is possible to implement at the local level um, that really puts in an accountability measure. So thanks for bringing that up again, Christina. And I would um, like us to, you know, maybe come back to that conversation in a meaningful way on a future agenda. Go ahead, Dana. Thank you, Chairman, Mr. Chairman. Um, Melinda, thank you so much for that presentation. That was wonderful. And just, you really hit a number of points. And like Shannon and Christina both have mentioned that the unbanked and, and the income protection are, are things I think we could push for real policy change here. And I know we've hit some roadblocks and such, but I think if we, as an advisory panel, if we keep advising the, the city commission of this again and again and again, maybe even monthly, something's got to take note that we're, we're drawing the line here saying this is critical, this is important. And yeah, there's roadblocks here, but we still land here. I think that's, I think that's something as an advisory board we can do that could, could impact the needle and change thinking, have a sea change of, 
of differences of opinion of things that we really could have an impact on. So Melinda, thank you for bringing this to our attention today. Appreciate it. On a, on a secondary note, just to add a PS to her presentation, um, these parks are where a lot of folks at Family Promise end up because they won't qualify for a voucher and, and they can afford to live there. Um, and it is some of the some of the, the units are horrific as Melinda and her team have been in them. Um, we've got to we've got to do something here, folks. It's not just policies and advising. Um, this these are our neighbors. Thank you. Smog is sort of chair. Thank you, Dana. All right, I am going to close this issue. Uh, thank you, Melinda. We will uh, think about this and figure out how we're going to move forward as a board. And uh, try to... thank you. Just thank you for your work. Too. All right, I'll move on to Housing Stabilization Collaborative Program. at Gabby Sprague. Uh, Gabby, we're going to try to keep around 15 minutes so we have time for discussion. and. Then... Sure, I have a pretty short presentation. I think it's like nine slides or something. So um, yeah, so Leah invited me to come on here and talk a little bit about what the Housing Stabilization Collaborative is up to. Um, so yeah, I just have this short presentation here and I'll share my screen for that. Can we see that there? An overview, great. So we began, uh, the Housing Stabilization Collaborative began as a Family Promise of Lawrence grant funded program in the fall of 2020 to get out the CARES funding. It grew to include tents to homeowners in the United Way of Douglas County and has since grown to include the Willow Domestic Violence Center, Centro Hispano, Lawrence Community Shelter, Success by Six, the Ballard Center, Kansas Holistic Defenders, ECAN, the Senior Resource Center, the Center City of Lawrence and Douglas County. And I may also be forgetting a couple of organizations as well. Um, since then, we've kind of grown into sort of two arms with the overall goal and mission statement of supporting housing stability for all Douglas County residents by engaging tenants, utility companies, landlords, and social service agencies in building a culture of safe, affordable, and accessible housing. Sort of how it's structured right now is that we have monthly meetings where we talk about some of these things. And um, it's currently a stabilization meeting on the first Friday of every month, which I'll talk a little bit more about what that is in entails. And then also landlord engagement about two weeks after that on a monthly basis. The stabilization meetings, we primarily talk about um, a rent and utility assistance process and application, and then also case management for homelessness prevention. Um, I think a goal of the HSC has been since the beginning about establishing one rent and utility assistance process and application for all people, whether they're going through an agency or whether they're just coming online or, or doing the application through um, a paper application somewhere in the community. Um, I think there's um, a lot of issues when an individual has to uh, you know, go one, they go to Ballard Center for a $200 payment, they go to Family Promise for another $200 payment, and they have to go consistently to very many agencies in order to get their rent paid. 
So with the Housing Stabilization Collaborative, we bring all of these agencies together, pull away some of the administrative burden from these agencies and be able to provide that to the community in a more concerted and efficient way. Um, in order to do that and also keep um, people working at the nonprofits and social service agencies, we have a sort of two-tiered approach for case management. Uh, supportive services as, as what we would consider normal case management, say a person submits an application and um, based off of conversations with them, it's determined that they need a little bit more support just beyond the rent, rental assistance payment then a, an agency who's involved with the HSC would be able to take that on um, and be able to commit to doing that with the individual and receive a $250 stipend for that. If, if an agency is only able to provide sort of assistance through the one rental or utility assistance application process, that's more of a resource acquisition thing as opposed to a, um, a case management item and they would receive $150 stipend. So we pulled away the administrative burden from a lot of these agencies who are involved and we're able to also support them as well in, in engaging in this process. So since um, I guess it would be April 8th through the 31st of this last month, um, we've given out about $173,000 worth of rental assistance. Um, this was after the CARES funding. In the fall of 2020, when the CARES funding was a thing, 497 households were served with an average household payment of $1,875. That was nearing about a million dollars. And since then, we've used other sources of funding to continue to keep people housed throughout the pandemic. Some of that was also assisting people with care applications. As Melinda talked about, it's not always accessible to people. So we are very thankful that Douglas County has been able to provide an emergency disbursement of the ARPA funds for emergency rental and utility assistance that is a little more, more accessible in our community. Um, but you can take a look at the demographic data and totals there. And I will also send this to Leah. That way you all can have this afterwards. Um, so yeah, there's then. We've served about 146 households between April 8th and the 31st of this last month with an average payment of 1187. Um, moving on to more of the landlord engagement side of things. This is now just starting and it's being primarily headed by Mario Ferrero, who is the landlord liaison at the Lawrence Douglas County Housing Authority. Um, and she's done a lot of research into other communities as to what landlord engagement could look like. And we had our first monthly meeting last month and we had a lot of discussion among social service agencies. And also um, I think there was like one landlord there this time, hoping to improve that as time goes on. Um, one landlord shared some of the, the concerns that they had about the care program and that not paying out as well. Um, so we had a lot of good discussion and um, we're hoping to look forward to this this month where we do a little bit more of the work in establishing one process and hub for landlord engagement in Douglas County. Similarly to how one rental and utility assistance um, sort of process helps folks who are looking for assistance, we think that this having one process and hub for landlord engagement will be able to help landlords and um, get them the incentives and um, things that they need in order to feel that their tenants are being successful in their homes um, and keep them housed for, um, you know, permanently. 
hopefully. So we're, uh, Marielle did a lot of research and had a really nice presentation this last monthly meeting about landlord engagement strategies in other communities similar to our own. These are all links to those, which again, I will send these out and you will be able to look for that. Um, and uh, part of the part of the landlord engagement is like we can give out rent and utility assistance um, all the time. However, there are many folks who are just facing so many barriers. Like we, the HSE can pay a check, but unless the landlord is going to remove their application requirements, such as income that we've already talked about to a certain degree. Um, or criminal background history, or even accepting a Section 8 voucher and working with the household with a Section 8 voucher, um, we can't do anything on our end. We can't give them a check that they won't accept. So um, I had a little number here that was shared from the housing authority. So as of September 21st, there are 44 voucher holders searching for units, but there are 412 households on our voucher wait list. I think that shows just an issue that we need to be engaging landlords in um, working with us. I think there's a lot of misconception about people with a Section 8 voucher. And then also we need to be able to move toward a solution that is beneficial for all of us that gets um, landlords money and for their units while also housing the individuals that are facing some of the barriers through the application process. We're working on gathering data on that and looking at exactly what that looks like. Mariana called, um, mostly Marielle, honestly, uh, 14 landlords since uh, last week sometime. Only five out of those 14 landlords take Section 8. And all of those landlords, even though they might work with somebody with their voucher, they still have the barriers such as you have to make two and a half to three and a half times the rent. There's that credit score of 550 to 650, the minimum credit score, um, and then criminal history screenings. And there are many others as well. Um, during our landlord engagement meeting on Monday, we're all talking about Brian Jimenez quite a bit today. Um, he's going to be attending and talking about code enforcement and what that sort of process is. I think it's going to be about a 15-minute presentation about what the code enforcement office is currently doing and then allowing for a Q&A session um, with all of the social service providers who are engaging folks who are um, living in units that are not uh, up to up to code. Um, we are looking at future work. Um, these conversations, I feel like we're a lot of the monthly meeting is um, looking to the things that we're already doing and how we can improve that and what that process looks like and how we're engaging all the organizations and doing some of those things. But some ideas that Marielle and I have had that we're looking to have more conversations about is establishing some mediation services for the court system to hopefully prevent evictions. We've seen in other communities, and it might not be possible here, but requiring that landlords and tenants go through a mediation before being evicted. Um, and we're looking at various community partners that might be able to help us in establishing sort of a HSC mediation of sorts. We're also looking to build a standalone website, the United Way of Douglas County's current rental and utility assistance application has been great. However, we're looking to build up a little more and build a standalone one um, that could basically live wherever we would like it to live in the future. So that's going to contain hopefully a rental availability list where we've engaged landlords to um, lower the application barriers that we've been seeing and be able to populate their own rental availabilities on the website. And that would be housed there for social service agencies who are working with populations who are facing these barriers to then access that and get folks housed. We're also going to have a landlord information and membership page 
We would like landlords to be able to commit to a membership with the Housing Stabilization Collaborative, and that would then give them access to some of the incentives that we've been talking about. Um, at the Housing Authority currently, there is funding through emergency services grants. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Shannon, but I'm pretty sure that's correct. And it is it people have to meet a homeless certification according to HUD, uh, but we're looking to get more incentives that um, also include other people who don't fit that very narrow description that HUD has for homelessness. Um, we're also looking to have a partner page that just lists all of the community partners that we have and links over to their website. Of course, the rental and utility assistance application is going to be there. Um, we're hoping to continue being able to do that in a more collaborative effort the way we've been doing since fall of 2020. Um, there will hopefully be a referral form to agencies for folks who are looking for additional services and then a data page showing the successes and um, other items of, of note. We're also looking to just continue building support from agencies and government and landlords to do effective engagement incentivizing. Um, that's pretty much a basic overview, I would say, of the Housing Stabilization Collaborative. There's a lot to get into, but does anybody have any questions and or comments? I know many of you are also among the collaborative and are engaging with these conversations all the time. So if there's anything to add, please do. Hi, this is Christina Gentry, um, member at large uh, here. So yes, thank you very much, Gabby. I appreciate this communication as well. Um, I wanted to also dismiss that alarm and to say that um, I was on the national call of the housed, um, that's spelled H-O capital U-S-E-D. Thank you, Leah, for sharing that link uh, to register for that, um, that meeting and that conversation. Um, this isn't a question, this is more just kind of like an ad, addition to what was being shared today and also talking about the you know the effectiveness of, of understanding uh, how to change perspectives and um, what really stuck out to me and I, I'm trying not to you know go too many to talk about too many uh, things details at once I know I can get caught up in the weeds but I think adapting a behavioral science approach um, to more more than more than anything to adjust a perspective, to adjusting the perspective of landlords to Section 8 voucher recipients and adjusting the perspective to income impoverished community members um, is some kind of, and another approach that could be adapted. I'm not really sure how that happens because as I work at the health department, uh, we are, you know, trying to change perspective or adjust perspective on, um, you know, anything from just uh, immunizations and the, and the vaccine for, for COVID. So that's something I'm constantly trying to work with in my head. How do you change people's perspectives and how do you adjust the perspectives and taking that behavioral approach um, and that kind of science to make sure that we are really reaching people at, at a tone that's not always heard, not, not some, a tone that's not always uh, something that people can hear. So I appreciate the work that that's being done again. And so just uh, always happy to hear Mariel Fierro's name uh, mentioned also in groups and things that are going on as the community housing liaison. I hope I'm getting that title correct. Um, but yes, just kind of keep up the good work and uh, continue to work. And we'll try to see, make sure that we can work with you uh, personally, work with you. And then, you know, also uh, making sure that we can move this work forward. Thank you.
Thank you, Christina. And I think it's so vital of what you say about the behavioral science approach, because in Kansas, there aren't a lot of laws protecting tenants. So we need to be able to work with landlords in situations and um, bring them along, so to speak. Monty Sukup Chair, are there any other comments, questions? Gabby? All right, well, thank you, Gabby. It's amazing what you're doing. And uh, thank you for that. And if there's something that you, you know, specific things you think that this group can help with, please certainly reach out and uh, and let us know. And uh, we'll try to push those things forward as well. So thank you. Thank you. All right, so we're going to move on to quick updates. Um, the request for proposals for affordable housing development. Uh, do we have a staff update on that? Just real quick, Diane Stoddard, Assistant City Manager. Uh, good afternoon. I um, wanted to provide you a quick update on this one, which is that with the minutes from the September meeting that you approved earlier today, this will be forwarded to the City Commission and we'll keep you apprised of any direction that they provide us uh, going forward um, with that recommendation. Thank you. Right. Thank you, Diane. Uh, any questions on that? Okay. Uh, next item is the City Commission action of August 17th, meeting on affordable housing advisory board recommendations. Uh, that was on the agenda last month. Um, as you may recall, um, we had forwarded a recommendation for changes in uh, development code that would like allow for fewer street trees, um, change the sidewalk requirement. I can't remember what the third one was, but basically the action that occurred was they agreed to change the, the language on the code on the installation time for the sidewalks. Uh, previously, they made them put them in at the beginning of the development and then developers end up repairing, replacing, it didn't make sense. Uh, so they're gonna allow them, allow them to put them in uh, as houses are developed and connect them as it makes sense. Uh, so, but the other two items they did not approve, that was the street trees and I can't remember what the third thing was. Um, basically the discussion evolved around it didn't make that much of a move in the needle uh, the cost savings and whatnot uh, were not significant and um, so they were not recommended there was a lot of discussion <laughs> about that uh, about those but basically it came down to uh, the city commission basically asked us to continue to come forward with ideas and to be more creative uh, with our ideas um, to try to reduce the cost of new housing development. So um, to that end, uh, uh, I guess we need to keep that on our radar and probably uh, at some point come up with some additional uh, ways that we think it might be possible. Um, so with that, I'm gonna ask if there are any questions or any other comments regarding that item. Uh, 
Okay, we'll expect to see something about that on an agenda in the future uh, as we uh, try to develop other other ways to reduce uh, development costs. And I think the one thing that I would I would say about that is, um, uh, you know, that would not only be standard, you know, developer driven development costs, but it could also be ways to reduce the cost for affordable housing development, which may be different than private development. So I think that's something we haven't explored at this point. Uh, so I'm hopeful we'll, uh, take a look at that. Okay, moving on to the next item, Porchlight Homes uh, project memo. Um, I think we discussed that pretty thoroughly uh, last month, although we did kind of run out of time. So are there any further questions on the Porchlight development project? Anyone have? Just want to make sure we, uh, we kind of truncate the conversation last month. So I want to make sure we had an opportunity okay seeing none uh that ends our regular business is there any other new business that anyone has to bring up okay not seeing any oh rebecca in the nick of time there. sorry um i just wanted to mention to everyone um really quickly that Dana and I and several other folks, you, you noticed all the problems with the CARA rental application um, that uh, Melinda mentioned. Um, we have met with the head of KHRC. We've gone straight to the top of the state and let them know about the problems that are happening in Lawrence. There's about 450 open applications that people in general haven't gotten all the information to the um, the program for all the reasons that were stated above, not blaming the tenants in any way, it's hard to get through that process. Um, and so we are working really hard on a very specific solution that because of confidentiality, it becomes tricky. But for them to send an a letter or an email to everyone that has applied saying, if you are still interested, can you contact these local organizations, all of us that are working on this, or can they contact you? We wanted to just get a list and at least call everyone and say, you applied, can you sign a confidentiality and we'll help you get the information you need to finish your application. Um, but we're gonna continue to push them, continue to work on that, because there's 450 applications in Douglas County that need to be need to be done and helped and there's a lots of money at the state and this just gets to that bureaucracy that is so impossible for lower income families to deal with and uh, we have every intention to keep working on this and try to be the boots on the ground that can connect these two um, this disjuncture so that we can get those tenants this um rental help and that will only support hsc and the local dollars or we find out no it's not going to go through the state let's get them the local dollars to keep prevent eviction so um, if anyone is interested in helping us with that please let me know this is really one of those you know these are 450 households that need help now and we're really trying to just not say oh bureaucracy sorry nothing we can do um 
but there's a lot of challenges in that. And uh, luckily the state, although the program has had a lot of issues, it is also the federal requirements. It is all the bureaucracy that comes with all of that. And they are trying to work with us locally. So um, one step forward, two steps back. But uh, I just want to let everyone know that we're, that we're trying to work on that. Thanks. Samantha Sokopchuk, thank you, Rebecca, and everyone who's working on that. Um, that is just, that's just frustrating. Uh, <laughs> I know myself when somebody says, oh, just apply online. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> you know? So um, I can't imagine if I had struggle, you know, struggle with even Internet access, how that even how that even begins to feel so. Uh, thank you again for that. Um, all right. Any other new business? All right. This is Shannon Reed, Douglas oh. County Commission. Um, I think it's relevant to lots of people in this group who may, some of you already may be aware of it, um, but it was sort of planned a little bit last minute or in recent weeks. Um, this Wednesday at the Douglas County Commission meeting, our October 13th, work session at 4 p.m. will be um, on the topic of evictions. And so there'll be a little bit, uh, I mean, some of what was said here, I think will, you know, be highlighted to a point, but we'll have Kansas Legal Services, um, Gabby Sprague, Monty Alfaro, um, and also somebody from K KHRC at the state level and Kira to have a conversation about um, kind of evictions on a local level um, and some specifics about how, um, how legally easy and possible they are um, and some possible mitigation and, and prevention efforts towards that specifically. So of course that'll be recorded and I'm hopeful it'll be a good um, hour of, of information and conversation about some strategies for more prevention in our community. Okay, that's my last PSA. Thanks, Chair. <laughs> no, thank you, Shannon. Uh, will you just repeat the location Time oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I don't think I said that. Um, Douglas County Commission meetings are all online and in person. So you can either come down to 1100 Massachusetts Street on the second level of that building um, and join us in person at four o'clock and then our 530 meeting or um, on the Douglas County website, you can find our Zoom. Okay. Thank you, Shannon. Okay, I'm just going to go uh, seeing no other new business going once, twice, three times. Okay, I'm gonna go through the calendar and then we'll wrap this up. Uh, November 8th, uh, we have the Housing Trust Fund application applicant presentations. Uh, and just note on your calendar, we're extending that meeting an additional hour to be able to have time to get those and to be able to discuss them the same day. Um, so try to get that on your calendar. Uh, you know, it's the, one of the most important things we do all year. So uh, December 13th, we'll uh, then have our recommendations uh, to award those funds. And then in January, you have the chance to replace me as chair. Uh, we'll elect our new officers. So uh, looking forward to that. And um, I apologize if I offended anyone on uh, calling out times after we ran out of time at, you know, we ran over and then really had to terminate the meeting last month. I, uh, Leah and I are trying to kind of figure out, um, you know, 
time sections for each item on the agenda so we can make sure we have time for everything. Uh, I'm not trying to cut anybody off, but um, as the chair, I get to be the enforcer of that. So I uh, hope I didn't offend anybody today. And uh, if I do, just tell me. <laughs> um, with that, if there are no other comments from the committee, I will ask for a motion to adjourn. This is Shannon Reed. I move to adjourn. Okay. Thank you, Shannon. Ron Gacious, uh, Chamber Representative, second. All right. Thank you, Ron. We have a motion and a second. Is there any discussion? All right. I will call the roll. Thomas Howe. I believe Thomas had to uh, leave early. Rebecca Buford. Approve. <laughs> Christina Gentry. I approve. Erica Zimmerman. Approve. Sarah Waters. Approve. Janet Ori. Approve. Tom Allen. Approve. Janet Reed. Approve. Ron Gacious. Approve. Dana Ortiz. Approve. Monty Sokup. Approve. Motion passes 10 0. We are adjourned on time today. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>